0: Last week we read some passages on the Guru, and as we read, it is not customary in Shorabindu's Yoga, Supramental Yoga, to use this word. Because Guru is only one aspect of the Divine, one of the many types of relations one can have with the Divine. But there are other relations, even sweeter, closer, more intimate. Because with Guru, there is a distance, but closer still, if you really look at basically it's the relation of creation with the Creator. And what else is this creation but an extension of the Creator and the word in Sanskrit is Santan, it's my extension. So we are all children of the one Divine. So there is a very beautiful relation we can have with the Divine as children and as children, we, the Divine indulges with us. In fact, Sri says, The Divine Mother likes it to be so, that the soul goes to the Divine Mother in all its wanderings. And the Divine Mother likes it to be so, so that she can indulge and pour her heart of love on creation. She wants vessels to receive her love. There is no limit to her love. It's we who are limited in receptivity. But the Divine is not just up above. He descends here, struggles and suffers and leads the human march. So he becomes the hero whom we can follow and we can be with him in all the evolutionary march of mankind. It's a very beautiful relation where the divine becomes the leader of the journey and we are part of his um, battalion, moving towards the light and truth and bliss. And since he knows us, he becomes us. He also becomes the friend. Who intimately understands all our difficulties and troubles and problems and issues. And a far greater and better confidant and friend than what any human being can ever be. Because he understands us just as we are. We don't even have to tell him. But to share our problems and difficulties with him is to at once, as Sri says, her smile chasing away every gloom, a friend and counsellor and mentor in difficulties. So he not only counsels, but makes sure that we have the strength to go through it and removes whatever has to be removed. So there are many kinds of relationships that we can form with the divine and all that is possible and fused in a many-sided embrace of the creator, of the divine himself, in the supramental yoga. That's why Sraubindu says it's not customary to use this word. Second thing that Sraubindu says is that Normally in traditions, the guru gives a mantra. And he says, we do not give mantra here. when Somebody asked Shirobindo. So he says, the mother does not come, uh, does not give mantra. Because people were asking, the tradition is that you go to a guru and he gives a mantra. So someone wrote to Shirobindo, I want to come there and receive mantra from mother. And Shirobindo wrote a letter, the mother does not give mantra, she gives work. So... <laughs> So beautiful it is because uh, it's an evolutionary march of mankind. It's an action. Mother says what Shirobindo represents in the history of Earth's spiritual progress is not a teaching, not even a revelation, but in direct action straight from the Supreme. So it's an action in which we can participate. So she gives us work and that's much greater because through work all the dynamic parts of her nature begin to open to her rather than just when we recite the mantra. Third thing is the mother reveals is that here the mantra comes to us when we need it. And it's an experience, I'm sure, of many, many, that at a particular point, a particular mantra will come. Sometimes that mantra will be one's own mantra for life. And sometimes it may change into something else. But it should be the cry of our being. That's the beauty of the spontaneous mantra. It is what we are really looking for. We need it. We are thirsty for it. It's not something mechanical given as an initiation ceremony which we must follow uh, just because someone has given it to us. But surely, if the development has not gone to that point, she says in that case, the guru can give a mantra or one can pick up one of the mantras which have been charged through the history of spiritual history of mankind, a bird like Om and like that. But each one has to discover one's own mantra. And a time comes when the inner being reveals the mantra. And then it it is taken up by our being. So even in dreams, in any crisis, and even then, normally, whatever activities we are doing in those little gaps, and then later on, even while the activity is going on, this mantra goes on. So it's something very beautiful. And it's a natural, spontaneous process in Shurabindu's yoga. So that's because Shurabindu is not... A guru, much more than that, he is an avatar, the divine descent upon earth. And since we are entering the month of August, Sri Bindo's birthday, and after this, um, I'll be off next Tuesday, uh, back next Tuesday. So then Savitri classes, so for this month of August, this will be the only Tuesday class. Of course, beach office class will be there, and we'll start in September. So I thought, let's read about the avatari aspect of Shurbindo. To prepare ourselves for the 15th of August. Now, people sometimes say that Shirvinda never claimed that he is an Avatar. Of course, no Avatar claims that he is an Avatar. It will be absurd. But yet, Avatars do reveal themselves time to time to those who are ready. Like Sri Krishna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra reveals about his being an Avatar to Arjuna. Now, this is not something he declares through newspaper cuttings and you know big hoardings on the that you know I am an Avatar. Come in. this is obviously ostentatious. And the avatar doesn't indulge in that kind of propaganda or in any propaganda. And he, it's like the sun rising, those who are ready can see him. So, But there are few places to few persons Shirobindo has revealed about being an avatar. One is when um, Champak Lalji got the footprints of Shirobindo and the mother uh, in his own cunning um, bhakti way, asking them as his birthday gift, Making them put their feet on a piece of paper and then draw it, and Shobindo smiles. <laughs> and then, um, when on, on that paper where mother's feet were imprinted, Shobindo writes there Aditi, the divine consciousness. And on the paper where Shobindo's footprints were there, the mother writes the avatar, the supreme upon earth. So, this is one place where directly he says, then of course um, the mother has declared that he is the last avatar in a human body so there are places where shubhendu did declare about his avatarhood but one of the places where we see it very clearly is in his correspondence to nagindoshi and in few simple letters he gives us the secret of avatarhood nagindoshi as we know is one of those four rare exceptions normally mother and shubhendu would not accept a teenager as a disciple usually they would say go go to the world have experience of the world when you are ready then come so most people came either in their mid 20s and many in their 30s but nagindoshi shanti bala and uh, roman palit these are the four persons who were accepted as teenagers and nagindoshi had a very interesting story that uh, he came from gujarat during holidays because the school was closed so he came here and mother said okay normally she would not you know people couldn't very concentrated atmosphere. He stayed during the holidays. Then he went back. Because the school had opened. But then he says, after going back, I don't know what mother did. And this used to be famous during those times that if people went to the ashram, they would not want to come back. So parents were very afraid of sending their children. So, But he, when he went back, he says, I just couldn't stay. Within two days, he rushed back. And the mother accepted him. This, he must have been 16 or something. And for two, day, two years, he did not even know what is sadhana, what is yoga. He was just here and enjoying the place and he liked it. 31, so no school, nothing. And then around eighteen, nineteen, he started asking questions to Sri Bindo about every possible thing in this world. We find there is a very nice set of three, set of his correspondence. Uh, and I am reading a very small portion of it. where Very, very small portion, just that part which is relevant where be the reveals to a teenager of all the persons that who he is. So, here is, here are the series of few questions. First question he asks is a series of questions. It is said that you and the mother have been on earth since its creation. Mother has openly declared that I never left the earth. So when people say on 17th November she went away, sometimes we wonder. But, what have you been doing for so many millions of years in disguise? Only a child can ask this question. I say disguise because it is only now that you are showing yourself to the world in your real nature. a lot of charm in this, these letters. Shraubhinda gives a four-word reply. Carrying on the evolution. What were you doing for millions of years? Carrying on the evolution. He says... I fail to understand what you mean by carrying on the evolution. Could you explain this more fully? Shorabindo. So when we write about Shorabindo's life, where does it begin and where does it end? So Shorabindo says, that would mean writing the whole of human history. The mother speaks about her presence during the time of the first human advent and where it took place he remembers it very concretely in the memory where as first humans they were there we have not even heard it. it's not documented in the dashavatar parable so he says that would mean writing the whole of human history and we know number of you know those lives we will not get into that i can only say that as there are special descents to carry on the evolution to a farther stage so also Something of the divine is always there to help through each stage itself in one direction or another. I find this letter very, very, very fascinating and interesting. That we know about avatars who are special descents. He speaks of that. But what Sri is saying is that something of the divine is always present to carry on the evolution. So there is something else like a mystery, a great secret, which he has just, uh, you know, let off. So the disciple asks, or the young boy, I can understand how ordinary people in the past may not have recognized your presence, especially when you lived outwardly like human beings. But how is it that even Sri Krishna, Buddha, or Christ could not recognize your presence in this world? Beautiful. (laughs) Surabindo, presence where and in whom? If they did not meet, they would not recognize. And even if they met, there is no reason why the mother and I should cast off the veil which hung over these personalities and reveal the divine behind them. Those lives were not meant for any such purpose. Though they were conscious, we see, the other day I was mentioning about Mona Lisa and how it's basically a painting of the mother. Now they say that, of course, Leonardo da Vinci's mother, who died very young, but it's quite possible that she was some kind of a... Vibhuti or emanation of the Divine Mother herself. And he had captured that image in his mind and no wonder the painting is a mystery. Nagin Doshi, if you and the Mother were on earth at all the time, it would mean that you were here when those great beings descended. Then whatever your external cloak, how could you hide your inner self from them? So he is not happy with the answer. He wants more. Sure, Shurabindog, but why cannot the inner self be hidden from all in such lives? Your reasoning would only have some force if the presence on earth there then were as the avatar, but not if it were only as a vibhuti. Now, you know, he is letting off one secret that, you know, then we were as vibhutis, not as avatars. Sri Krishna says in the Gita, among the vibhutis, vibhuti yog, I am Vasudeva Krishna. So he is among the Vrishnis, he is Krishna. So, Nagin Doshi again says, So, in answer to the question, presence where and in whom, I would say, presence in this world, and in thyself and the mother. Sure, Vindo, it is presence in or behind some body, and behind some outer personality. Also, presence in what part of the world? If mother were in Rome, at the time of Buddha, how could Buddha know as he did not even know the existence of Rome. So, he goes to still. (laughs) One after another. Nagindoshi, I did not mean that you or the mother needed to cast off your veil. It is those great men who should have recognized you in spite of the veil. It's a beautiful correspondence. Shirobindo, one can be a great man without knowing such things as that. Great men... Or even great vibhutis need not be omniscient or know things which it was not useful for them to know. Nagin Doshi, you write, but why cannot the inner self be hidden from all in such lives? I fail to understand how anyone could hide one's inner self from avatars and vibhutis. Shorabindo, now he gives a little more detailed reply. An avatar or vibhuti have the knowledge that is necessary for their work. They need not have more. They have all in the background, but they don't come to display or just make a show of that. It's there in the background. But in the forefront, they keep only that knowledge which is necessary for the work. Because that's what they have come to do. There was absolutely no reason why Buddha should know what was going on in Rome. And Avatar even does not manifest all the divine omniscience and omnipotence. He has not come for any such unnecessary display. So he has it, if necessary. So when he was asked about mother, mother must be knowing everything because she is omniscient. Sri writes humorously, including what George Lloyd had for breakfast yesterday. Then he says she can know if she wants to know because she is omniscient. But she doesn't need to know. She knows in her inner consciousness as the world mother what's happening in the world and that's all that is necessary. All that is behind him but not in the front of his consciousness. As for the vibhuti, the vibhuti need not even know that he is a power of the divine. Some vibhutis like Julius Caesar for instance have been atheists. Buddha himself did not believe in a personal god only in some great, in some impersonal and indescribable permanent and yet he is an avatar so you know it's our idea of basically we confuse it with being religious that a more religious person who is you know very much doing things you know godliness etc saintliness that is avatar but avatar and vibhutis are very different uh, degree of divinity. Nagin Doshi still I can't understand one thing even though you did not cast off your veil how could Krishna, Buddha and Christ not help casting off their veil in order to recognize you? It's amazing how one by one Sure, Bindu, why should they? The veil was there necessary for their work. Why should it be thrown off? And then he lets off another clue. First he has revealed to us about the avatarhood of Buddha. Now he is revealing the avatarhood of Christ. So, If the mother was present in the life of Christ, she was there not as the divine manifestation, but as one altogether human. For her to be recognized as the divine would have created a tremendous disorder and frustrated the work Christ came to do by breaking its proper limits. So he had to show to the world the way of divine love. If he could just do a magic on the cross and disappear, that wouldn't be Christhood. But to be crucified and say forgive them is the greatness of Christ. So if he immediately, oh she is the divine mother and we know ourselves, we are the divine, nothing can happen to our bodies. That's not the kind of work the avatar comes to do. He comes to take the work in grim earnest. So, then he says, since you and the mother were on earth constantly from the beginning, what was the need for avatars coming down? Shurabindo, we were not on earth as avatars and then he says the avatar is necessary when a special work is to be done and in crisis of the evolution the avatar is a special manifestation while for the rest of the time it is the divine working within the ordinary human limits as a vibhuti so we see here shobhindos such a beautiful response to the avatar and how he has been they have always been on earth but hiding behind the human facade as vibhutis but very conscious that as divine they are carrying on the march of evolution. But in this life, they manifest the full avatarhood as avatars. So I rushed through this because I wanted to read a poem, which I had mentioned earlier. And it's a poem that gives goosebumps. More so when we know, it's a poem, first published poem of Sri in England. And this poem was published in 1883 at the age of 10. When it was written, we don't know. And the poem is about the very clearly about the prescience of the avatar. Very often, you know, Shobindo spoke about the mother that the mother was inwardly above the human even as a child. But since he or it was not said explicitly, some people take it that, oh, Shobindo was human who became the divine. But it's not true. Absolutely from the birth, he is conscious and it's a progressive manifestation. And the poem is amazing. Its name is Light. Shobindo uses the image of the light to give the truth of avatar and in this he also brings out the symbol of Christ's advent. So it's, he takes up the story of another avatar, weaves it into the descent of light and gives us the truth about the avatar and when we read it, truth about himself. Now when we know this is a 10 year old child writing, then it's amazing all the more. It starts with the sun emerging from the depth of darkness. From the quickened womb of the primal gloom, the sun rolled black and bare, till I wove him a vest for his ethio-breast of the threads of my golden hair. So sun is hidden in the darkness and it's coming out. quickened womb. Earth has become restless for the birth of the sun. And it's black, burnt out, Ethiop. It means burnt out, fiery. And it's a very interesting word. I don't want to go into, I'm tempted to go into its history. The Ethiopians derived from that. The original Negroes and the most beautiful and most handsome women and men. It's not just me speaking. I'm sure it will be a universal, by and large, a universal uh, verdict that the most beautiful faces are Ethiopian women and men, dark complexion. And it, it, the word Ethiopia and Ethiop also comes in Plato's writings, where he says that Ethiopians were children of the sun and they lived in land to the north, to the east and to the west. And they were, uh, they, that was a life of purity and bliss. Now, no one knows, you know, whom he is really referring to. And the third interesting thing is that modern archeological and geological findings suggest that the first human beings were found in Ethiopia two million years back, uh, sorry two lakh years back. So most likely in Africa it was in Ethiopia that the first human beings uh, as they are present not Cro-Magnon and Neanderthals but the present Homo sapiens erectus, it took place in Ethiopia. So Shubhendu used a wonderful word. Ethiop- Breast. It's, it has Greek roots. Uh, it means at one point dark, but not just dark, burnt out. So sun with its fieriness has burnt itself out and it's emerging. So it needs a proper vest to wear. And Shobindo writes, and of course as light, that I took out my golden hairs and wove a vest for it. So he has made a jacket for the sun to come out. And when the broad tent of the firmament, look the magnitude and the vastness, arose on its airy spars, the tents, the airs, the winds are blowing and it's holding the tents in the sky. I penciled the hue of its matchless blue and spangled it around with stars. So you know when the sun is coming out, there is a very, very slight hint of a blue. So he says, I am the one who has spangled of course, this eye is light, and as we see also, we can perfectly apply it to Shurabindo, the divine advent. I painted the flowers of the Eden bars, and the leaves of living green, and mine were the dyes in the sinless eyes of Eden's virgin queen. So I am the one who paints all these living trees. Suddenly we see that you know they are all immersed in darkness. And they will begin to show some color. And even these sinless eyes of Eve, beautiful eyes, that color also, that light also, I am the one who has painted it. And then the story of Adam and Eve, we know that how, uh, of course this story is very symbolic. Mother has said it's uh, not really the devil who tempted, but the fruit of knowledge. And they had the fall. And she speaks of the fall as man losing the spontaneity or uh, of the animal world and entering the mental world, which is full of deception and all kinds of evil comes with that. But it's a necessary curve to evolve to the supramental. But we don't go into that story, but that part is just here. And when the fiends art in the truthful heart, so Adam and Eve were innocent and simple. They didn't know sin. So fiend, the devil's art in the truthful heart, had fastened its Mortal spell in the silvery sphere of the first born tear to the trembling earth I fell. Amazing symbol here. All, the, all three levels of symbol. One is of course the Adam and Eve story where Adam and Adam and Eve fall down upon earth, chased by the god who you know, gives his wrath. But at another level, she speaks about the silver and the first tear. It's the parting of the spheres between the higher and the lower sphere. And at a third level, light actually, it's difficult for the sunlight to escape from the sun. It's a known thing. And it's, uh, scientists, it's mind-boggling that how does light escape the sun? Because sun's gravity is so strong that photons can't escape. And only a fraction of photons escape the sun because they are held back. And that is enough to light up the whole, you know, world. <laughs> so it's amazing. So, that story also that driven out and then he falls on earth. Light falls on earth. So it's, you know, the story of light coming and awakening to the earth. But how beautifully in the silvery sphere of the first born tear to the trembling earth I fell. So what does he do when he falls on earth? When the waves that burst over a world accursed, their work of wrath had sped. He falls into a world which is accursed, shrapit, you know, because it's full of darkness, obscurity. Uh, There's no more that purity of that higher world, full of sin and evil. And the ark's lone few, tried and true, came forth among the dead. It's a mortal world, so as good as dead. So, the story of Noah's ark, where some are rescued to the new land. And we see the same story when mother count, recounts about the supramental ship. That those who remain faithful and true. And, and we see in the Bible story also, it has a very deep meaning. Not the way you know it is presented in traditional religion. And how they survive the onslaught of forces and land to the new world. So from the ark, those few who have survived, the faithful and the true. The tried and true. Tried. Oh, the word is even more wonderful. Who have been tried and tested come forth among the dead with the wondrous gleams of the bridal beams I bade their terror cease. For long they have been terrified. If you look at the world 100 years back, you know, which Asura was not ruling? Superstition, darkness, ignorance, Freudianism, Marxism, positivism, name it and it was there. Imperialism, all kinds of things and If we really, even 30 years, 40 years back, it's difficult to imagine. Actually, some of us who have not seen, we cannot imagine what that world would have been during the two great wars, the state of women, the state of, you know, this whole earth. And they are full of terror. And when he comes, that light comes, or the divine descends, first thing he does is, he stops their terror. So it's beautifully mentioned. With the wondrous gleams of the bridal beams, I bade their terror cease. But this is not enough to bait the terror. Storms are raging. So what does he do? As I wrote on the roll of the Storms Dark Scroll, God's covenant of peace. So not only he bates their terror, he also writes peace, peace to the storms. Mother, there is a prayer of the mother where she says, May the storm be appeased. Those who are agitated, may they be appeased. And the power of peace which Sri had literally appeased the physical storms. So, he writes God's covenant of peace. This also is reference to Noah's Ark. So, Noah's Ark has two aspects of it. One is the boat in which we have samples of uh, different creatures, the tried and true. And on the other hand, there is also a sacred chest uh, which contains the Ten Commandments. So, it's sacred. So, that's what has to be kept eventually in the temple. So, here he speaks about what is that sacred uh, scroll? God's covenant of peace. He brings the message of peace and the way to peace. So all the storms have to be quietened. And then it's a very beautiful description of the night which is slowly dying because the light is coming up. Like a pall at rest on the senseless breast, night's funeral shadow slept. It's not yet fully awakened. So night is still there. It's dead, but still there. Its shadow is being kept in a coffin. And (laughs) ready for the funeral. Where shepherd swains on Bethlehem's plains, their lonely vigils kept. Who was awake during the night? The shepherds. Those simple folks. The keepers of light. The cattle of plenty, which we find in the Vedas. The shepherds. The gopis and gopas, they were keeping a vigil. They were full of trust and faith that the divine will come. So during the night when there was darkness and human hearts were filled with darkness and obscurity, they kept the vigil for the coming of the avatar. When I flashed on their sight the heralds bright of heaven's redeeming plan, as they chanted the morn, the Savior born, joy, joy to the outcast man. So again, the story of Christ's birth, when three Maggies on the east who were waiting and keeping vigil at the night, they saw a star rising in the northern skies. And this was what they had read in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, that it will be the sign of the Savior. So they read it again, and they said, but where is he? So they follow the star and find the Savior, and they give uh, gold, frankincense and myrrh, and the mother says the gold is supramental knowledge and frankincense is psychological perfection and surrender so they gift it so they come from the east and gift it to the saviour so the same story Sri is correlating here that as they saw me the heralds bright so they announce and what do they announce? joy joy to the outcast man who is outcast? outcast from light so, outcast is not somebody whom people call as pariyas or, you know, they are not outcasts. That is still okay. But outcast is somebody outcast from the realm of light and peace and bliss. This is the real malady or the tragedy. As Shobindu says in one of his aphorisms, the real tragedy is not those who are poor, born or ill-bred, but those who do not know their souls. And if we take that, the majority are outcast. So such an outcast has to be redeemed. They don't know the joy that lies within us. And then now comes his full of tariq light. Equal favor I show to the lofty and low. When the light comes, it doesn't discriminate. Oh, I'll shine only on Mount Everest and Kanchanjanga. It goes and gives warmth even to the snake's pit. Equal favors I show to the lofty and low. On the just and the unjust I descend. Everyone gets their chance. Even the blind whose veins fears, roll in darkness and tears. Feel my smile, the blessed smile of a friend. Even those who cannot see, feel, somewhere that the light has dawned. What a marvelous line gives hope to all. Savitri, there is a line... Not only the white gods, not only are safe the white gods, not only are safe the gods, but even the dark deities who sprang in revolt are safe. A mother's arms calls back her rebel sons. So these are the ones who are outcasts. They have revolted against the light and even on them the light descends and gives them their chance. How beautiful this is. You know, it reminds me that light, which is equally available to all of his Sanskrit uh, in Kathopanishad, Suryo Yatha Sarva Lokasya Chakshu Nali Chakshuse The light of the sun is there for all, even though it descends on the good and the bad, evil, but is not stained by them, it informs them, it fills them and leaves them free to do with it what they wish. And take the consequences. Nay, the flower of the waste by my love is embraced as the rose in the garden of kings. Not only the rose blooming in the garden of kings I embrace, but I also go and kiss the flower which has been, you know, dwindled and lying as waste on the road, on the roads of time. Even that I lift up. There are such... Beautiful stories. One story I remember somebody going to mother. This rose reminds me. And she forgot to take flowers, and then someone gave the flowers, and one of the flowers was faded. So, in our Indian tradition, you don't take faded flowers to God. Then she had a thought Oh, this flower is like me, my being. So, all the more I should take it. So she went and in front of the mother, Mother, she said, Mother, this flower is like me, just as I am, dwindling, not bright, not blooming fully, half faded, I offer it to you. Mother was very happy with the consciousness. She took it and gave her a very beautiful rose. So you see, this is how the divine touch, in one of Surda's poem, we hear this, Paras guna avguna nahi there is a piece of iron which is kept in the prayer thali, plate of prayer. And there is another piece of iron which is kept at the butcher's place. But Paras, the touchstone which transmutes iron into gold, doesn't discriminate. It doesn't say, no, no, I will not touch the butcher's iron. It says, doesn't matter if I touch the butcher siren, so it will also be transmitted into gold. So Sur Das writes very beautifully, Prabhuji more avguni chitna dharo. Don't look at my defects. If you look at my defect, there will be no hope. But if you look at your grace, all of us have hope. It's a very beautiful little story as a sideline to it. Swami Vivekananda went to a king. And uh, this bhajan, and uh, he was a sannyasi of a gyan yogi type, not yet that vastness where he could embrace the whole world. So when he went to the king, then the kings are kings. So there was a courtesan who came with all those gungroo tied to her feet. So when Vivekananda saw that, he got up and went out, started going out. He said, "What, what place you have called me? A courtesan will dance here, and you expect me as a sannyasi to hear all this?" And then he started dancing with this song. Prabhuji more avuguni chitna dharo, samadarsi hai naam tiharo. You are an equal-minded person. Don't take my defects to your heart. And then he returned back. And then he says, she taught me a great lesson of my life. So this is, you know, Auroville has a similar legend, by the way, Irumbai legend. Let me not go into that. (laughs) At the chrysalis bire of the morn I appear, and lo, the gay butterfly wings. So as I appear, the morn which is still mourning, still to be raised from its dead, so the butterflies begin to flutter wings. The desolate morn like the mourner forlorn conceals all the pride of her charms. Now the image is of morn. Now you see, morning starts after twelve, literally. But if you get up at 2, it's a strange morning. It's morning, you feel it's morning, but still night. So morning is there, but forlorn. Mourning, hiding all the charm. When she will come out fully, the world will be filled with joy and hope. But she's still concealing all these things. So the images of the born, the desolate morn, like the mourner forlorn, conceals all the pride of her charms till I bid the bright hours, chase the night from her flowers, and lead the young day to her arms. So what the light does, what the divine does, he makes the flowers bloom and brings the day to the arms of the morning. She is alone, lonely. She is mourning. So she is mourning for someone. So the divine brings the day and puts him in her arms. Like lovers they meet. So here comes the, and when the gay rover seeks Eve for her lover. So gay rover is the day. He's is moving all the time. So he come in the arms of the morning. Now he's going towards the arms of Eve. This is not the Eve of Adam and Eve. So he's, he seeks the Eve for her lover and sings to her balmy repose. So now he wants to rest. He has moved all day. Day has moved all day. And now he wants to rest in the arms of Eve. So what does light do? I wrap the soft rest by the zephyr fanned vest in curtains of amber and rose. The color of the sky is yellowish red, so amber and rose. And zephyr fanned, the soft gentle breezes. So I say, okay, you rest. You want to rest? Rest. And I'll pull the curtain around you. And what is that color of the curtain? Rose and yellow. The sky in the evening, late evening. From my sentinel steep, by the night brooded deep, I gaze with unslumbering eye. The sun never sleeps, earth turns away. The sun keeps a vigil all the time, changing the seasons, ever active in its inaction, seeming inaction. See, I kept a vigil at night, even at night. When the sinusoid star of the mariner is blotted out from the sky and guided by me through the merciless sea. So here also, how does it keep a vigil? Even light, it's light, not just the sun. So the mariner light, the light that is on the lighthouse, keeps a vigil. That's the image. When the mariner is going through the troubled waters at night, there is still a light. It's a very beautiful Upanishadic truth. When Gargi questions Yagnawalk and says, What lights up after the sun and the stars are gone? So, he says, the moon. What when the moon is gone? The fire. What when the fire is gone? So, Yagnualka says, the self, the light of the self. So, Gargi says, and what about when the self is not? She has asked a question which is beyond the... Now, yes, there is a state where being and non-being... They both fuse into one reality of which nothing can be said. So Gargi says, and what when the self is not? And Yagnavalk says, Gargi, one more question and your head will roll off. Now feminists don't understand this. They say, oh, this is male chauvinism. <laughs> it's about the mind. There is a point up till which the mind can take us. But there is a point where mind must be left aside. We can enter into Par Brahman. We can know it by identity, but we cannot define or describe it. The moment we speak about it, it is not. So that's the story. So he says, even then I am there, his companionless, dark, lone, weltering bark to the haven, home safely he brings. So even in utter darkness, even in the darkest hell, the light is there. And that's what Sri the Mother repeatedly remind us. That even when nothing is visible or seen, in that poem who he says, It is I in the Sun who am ageless, it is he in the sun who is ageless and deathless, and into the midnight his shadow is thrown. When darkness was dense and covered with darkness, I was, he was, (laughs) he was seated within it, immense and alone. And the last passage I waken the flowers in the dew spangled bars so the whole cycle is complete and the flowers are awake the birds in their chambers of green and mountains and plain glow with beauty again as they bask in their metanal sheen so the morning soft light they bask in that metanal sheen so the flowers the birds Everything comes to life. And now the master line. Oh, if such the glad worth of my presence on earth. light, Or the avatar. Who can say? Oh, if such the glad worth of my presence on earth. Though fitful and fleeting the while. What glories must rest on the home of the blessed. Ever bright with the deity's smile. What Mother and Sharubindo have revealed to us in a brief span of earthly existence is the glory that is yet to come. And that's why when much later, when the centuries will remember the twentieth century, centuries later, it's not it will not remember it as the century of the two great wars, but as the century of Sharubindo and the mother. They were present during the war. When Sanjay asks, when Dhritarashtra asks Sanjay, Sanjay, what have you seen all this terrible form you are describing? He says, you know, this war would be gone, finished, in whatever number of days, I don't know. Nobody will be left, not a trace of this civilization. But this day will be remembered, this century, this age will be remembered for two things the colloquy I have heard on the battlefield of Kurushetra and the great vision on the battlefield. These two things will survive and that's what we find here. I'll close with without, we'll just read we have to rush through time, two passages, there is another poem much later Suraubindo wrote again called light. So he has come with that, he is an avataric mission he has come to bring light into the abyss and what happens when the mission is done and the work completed. So this poem is, of course, there is another poem called Light. Sorry, I am reading this poem. Descent. All my cells thrill swept by a surge of splendor. Soul and body stir with a mighty rapture. Light and still more light, like an ocean billows over me, round me i surrounded by that light enveloping everything reaching out to everything rigid stone like fixed like a hill or statue vast my body feels and upbears the world's weight dire the large descent of the godhead enters limbs that are mortal it's come to bring that into the mortal sphere few passages below just again the last two passages All the world is changed to a single oneness. Souls undying, infinite forces meeting, join in God-dance, weaving a seamless nature, rhythm of the deathless. Mind and heart and body, one harp of being, cry that anthem, finding the notes eternal. Light and might and bliss and immortal wisdom, Clasping forever. And of course, the golden light came down into my mind. The grey rooms of my mind, sun-tust became. A bright reply from wisdom's occult plane. Bright illumination and a flame. The golden light came down into my heart, smiting my life with thy eternity. Now has it grown a temple where only thou art. And all its passions point towards only Thee. The golden light came down into my feet. My earth is now Thy playfield and Thy seed. There is one more passage which we can read. Thy golden light came down into my throat. And then he says, And all my notes are drunk with the immortal swine. A pain song of a note of the apian song of the my single note my words are drunk with the immortal's wine the golden light came down into my feet my earth is now thy playfield and thy seat so we'll just close here and we'll meet in september we'll put the notice first week of first tuesday of september